1: Uh, Piers Morgan, uncensored tonight. Putin again ramps up his nuclear threat. Russian sports stars, should they be banned from Wimbledon? And former President Trump serves his own volley. It's at me again. But first, it's my brain dump. As Vladimir Putin butchers Ukraine, millions of ordinary Russians are forced fed a daily diet of six propaganda to convince him of his warped alternative reality. And there's no such thing as a free press to tell the truth or hold him to account. Putin's Russia is a country where r- journalists are routinely murdered, literally thrown out of windows reporting the facts. They face 15 years in jail for criticising his evil war or the special military operation, as he so disingenuously calls it. Here in our free world, brave journalists are risking their lives daily so that we know exactly what is going on in Ukraine, where the barbaric dictator is waging genocide in a democratic sovereign country. In Putin's Russia, even his closest allies set a football field away from their slayer-in-chief. But here in our free world, comedians can sit a few metres away from the president of the United States, hurling zingers at him as if he was the groom at a wedding.
2: You know, I was a little confused about why me, but then I was told that you get your highest approval ratings when a biracial African guy is standing next to you, so... uh... (laughs) Uh, So let me just say, uh, Joe, uh, I'm glad that I could uh, do my part. I think ever since you've come into office, things are really looking up. You know, gas is up, rent is up, food is up, everything. This is truly the golden era of conspiracy theories. Whether it's the right wing, believing Trump can still win the 2020 election. Or the left, believing Joe Biden can still win the 2024 election.
1: Well, that was Trevor Noah at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, an annual event in Washington for journalists who spend their lives scrutinising and criticising the President of the United States without fear of being killed. And amid the glamour, the black tie and the comedy, there was a very serious point here, and Noah made it rather beautifully. In
2: America, you, you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable, even if it makes your viewers or your readers uncomfortable. You understand how amazing that is? I stood here tonight and I made fun of the President of the United States and I'm going to be fine.
1: I'm going to be fine, right? (laughs) Can you ever imagine Putin, President Xi in China or North Korea's Kim Jong-un attending a celebration for journalists whose job it is to shine a light on their incompetence or allowing themselves to be publicly ridiculed on national television? We all know what would happen to a TV star like Trevor Noah who dare make jokes like that at their expense in those oppressive totalitarian regimes. And that's why we should never take any of our freedoms for granted. And that's why this couldn't have come at a more, as a more timely reminder of how important it is to live in a country with a free press and freedom of speech. Well, just as mere tough talk and sanctions won't end this war, we can't defeat Putin the demon by demonising ordinary Russians. Tennis stars from Russia and Belarus are barred from competing at the Wimbledon Grand Slam tournament this year over the Ukraine invasion. It means that two of the top ten best men's players in the world won't be at the world's premier tennis competition. That's despite both of them courageously speaking out against the war and calling for peace. Well, tennis superstars like Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray and Rafa Nadal have now all criticised the ban, and I agree with them.
3: I think it
4: is very unfair for my Russian mates, my colleagues. In that sense, poor them. There's not much they can do. Poor them. At the end of the day, it is
1: not their fault. What is happening in this moment with the war? First off, this reeks of hypocrisy. Did Wimbledon ban Stan Smith, Jimmy Connors or John McEnroe during the wildly unpopular wars waged by America in Vietnam, Iraq or Afghanistan? Of course they didn't. And what about the ill-fated and what many view is illegal invasion of Iraq by the US and UK? Andre Agassi, Andy Roddick and Serena Williams all won tennis grand slams in 2003. Applying this new logic, they'd have been banned from taking part. There's also been no clamour to ban Saudi Arabian athletes over their country's bloody war in Yemen, which is no less reprehensible than Russia's war in Ukraine. In fact, Saudi Arabia hosted a Formula One Grand Prix just a few weeks ago, and its athletes competed in the Olympics. I fully support blocking Russian national teams who represent the Russian state under the Russian flag, but targeting the country's individuals for blame over the behaviour of their despotic leader doesn't make sense and is part of a worrying trend. We've seen Russian sports stars heckled, Russian arts being cancelled around the world, Russian products being boycotted, even stupidly summoned to sound Russian, Russian restaurants blacklisted, even though some of them, are run by Ukrainians. The city of Oxford even daubed over this sign because it used to be partnered with Perm in Russia. This is all pointless tokenism. It won't work and it hurts the wrong people. Dictators depend on stoking fear and hatred of the outside world. This is all just ammunition, for Putin's propaganda drive. Canceling Russian sport and culture won't win this war. Well, speaking of alternative realities, the Conservative MP caught watching porn in the House of Commons, heaping global embarrassment on Britain's democracy, has fallen on his sword, no pun intended. Sadly, it wasn't without one last blast of cringeworthy squirming. Neil Parish who's also a farmer, first brazenly called for an investigation into the allegations, allowing rumours to swirl about his own colleagues when he knew he'd done it. And he tried to explain it all away with an excuse that was frankly utterly ridiculous.
2: The uh, situation was that, that, um, uh, funnily enough, it was tractors that I was looking at, and um, so I did get into another website um, that had a sort of very similar name, um, and I watched it for a bit, which I
1: shouldn't have done. Who hasn't stumbled across porn looking for tractors? It gets worse. Parrish later briefed that specifically he was searching (laughs) for dominator combine harvesters when a rather different kind of dominator popped up. But there is a pathway to redemption for hapless parish, and it comes in this form of his former Conservative colleague, Brooks Newmark. You may not remember the name, but Newmark quit as a British government minister in 2014 after newspapers exposed him for sending lewd photos to a reporter posing as a young female fan. For years after, we never really heard anything about him again. But now it's emerged that Newmark has risked his life to almost single-handedly save over 7,500 Ukrainian women and children in the past two months, helping them evacuate the war zone. He raised $300,000 from friends and family to begin a bus service taking refugees out of Ukraine. From sinner to saviour. Good for him. Now, I don't believe in cancel culture, so I was obviously distraught to learn that the woman who cancelled me has now herself been cancelled. Yes, Netflix has shelved the development of Pearl, an animated series created by Meghan Markle with Sir Elton John's husband, David Furnish, about a 12-year-old girl inspired by influential women. Apparently, it was based on her own very inspiring rags-to-royal riches story. But sadly, it seems nobody at Netflix shared my inspiration. The streaming giant reported very bad results last week. A direct consequence, some critics say, of their increasingly tedious woke output, including a new series about a pregnant man. Netflix stock tanks, so they've had to pull the plug on Meghan's vanity project to cut costs. And concern is now mounting that the Duke and Duchess of Netflix's whole $100 million deal with the company may now be in jeopardy. None of this brings me any pleasure, especially after the sad failure of her nauseatingly patronising children's book, The Bench. But it would be remiss of me not to just politely suggest that Meghan and Harry may be suddenly discovering... But maybe the rest of the world isn't quite as excited by their self righteous brand of pious, hypocritical, money grabbing, virtue signaling, world bashing as they are. Because let's face it, when the world's wokest production company axes the world's wokest project by the world's wokest celebrity, that's a whole new level of humiliation. I, I wish Megan sincerely all the very best at this difficult time. Russian state television have issued a brazen warning that Moscow could wipe out Britain with a nuclear tsunami in retaliation for supporting Ukraine, declaring there would be no survivors. In
5: Britain, they seem to be rambling. Why do they threaten vast Russia with nuclear weapons while they are only a small island? Why do they play games? Another option is to plunge Britain into the depths of the sea using Russian underwater robotic drone Poseidon. The explosion of this torpedo close to Britain's shores will raise a giant wave. A tsunami up to 500 metres. This tidal wave is also a carrier of extremely high doses of radiation.
2: Surging over Britain, it will turn what is left of them into radioactive desert.
1: Well, a retired four-star general and former vice chief of staff of the US Army, General Jack Keane joins me, as does Tobias Elwood, Conservative MP and former defence minister. Welcome to both of you. General Keane, first of all, great honour to have you on the show. Thank you very much for, for joining uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored. When you hear that kind of rhetoric from the Russians, and we're hearing more and more of this now, it is pretty sobering listening, isn't it? It's frankly quite terrifying to many people. Uh, When I interviewed President Trump earlier this week, he felt that America in particular should be using more bellicose rhetoric back, reminding them, the Russians, that America has just as many nukes as they do. What is your view?
6: WELL, THE FACT IS, UH, WE HAVE A VERY EFFECTIVE STRATEGIC deterrence ABOUT THE KIND OF WARFARE THAT'S BEING THREATENED HERE, WHICH IS GLOBAL NUCLEAR WARFARE, AND THAT that KIND OF LANGUAGE IS ABSOLUTELY HORRENDOUS and, AND CERTAINLY OUTRAGEOUS TO DO THAT. I DON'T THINK WE HAVE TO WALK UP THE NUCLEAR ESCALATION WITH THEM, BUT WE REMIND THEM THAT THERE IS A SIGNIFICANT STRATEGIC DETERRENCE HERE AMONG THE UNITED STATES, BRITAIN, AND FRANCE. And certainly the destruction of their entire country and population is what they're putting at risk here. Um, I think they clearly understand that. I think this is mostly trying to rattle uh, your population as well as mine and also impact our our leaders. Um, I think uh, what's really troubling to them is the unanimity that the EU and NATO HAS uh, REALLY DEFINED HERE, NOT JUST in, IN GETTING BETTER SANCTIONS AND IMPROVED SANCTIONS, BUT MOST SIGNIFICANTLY IS THE ARMS AND AMMUNITION THAT WE'RE PROVIDING TO THE UKRAINIANS, AND CERTAINLY THE BACKDROP HERE, peers, IS THE FACT THAT THE RUSSIANS HAVE LARGELY BEEN FAILING, AND EVEN IN THIS MUCH SMALLER OFFENSIVE THAT THEY'RE CONDUCTING RIGHT NOW, THEY HAVEN'T MADE MUCH GAINS, AND LAST 24, 36 HOURS, THEY HAVEN'T BEEN DOING MUCH much of anything. So, yes, uh, there is saber rattling going on here uh, for sure. Now, the issue with a tactical nuclear weapon, I think that gives us all a little bit more concern that something like that could be used. Uh, I really believe the Biden administration could be much stronger about what our response should be here, both publicly and privately. And I will say this I do think that some of this rattling is going on, particularly. AS IT CONCERNS THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION, PIERCE, BECAUSE THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION SET THE TONE HERE VERY EARLY ON. MARCH 21, 70,000 TROOPS SHOW UP ON THE UKRAINE BORDER 60 DAYS INTO THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION'S REIGN RIGHT AFTER THE INAUGURATION. IT'S NO ACCIDENT. I'M ABSOLUTELY CONVINCED he, uh, PUTIN IS DOING THAT TO TEST THIS ADMINISTRATION WHICH HE BELIEVED WOULD BE WEAK AND THERE'S AN opportunity. The Trump administration had a scheduled deployment of arms and munitions in March of that year planned. Biden administration did not execute it and publicly stated the reason. They did not want to provoke Putin. Yeah, I mean, Tobias Elwood, I I felt... Let me bring in Tobias
1: Elwood, uh, General King, if I may. Uh, Tobias Elwood, I mean, I felt that one of the things that may have empowered Vladimir Putin to go into Ukraine, and President Trump said the same thing, was the very uh, cack-handed, if not catastrophic, withdrawal of forces from Afghanistan, that that looked like it was America in a form of surrender. What did, you, what did you think of that? What do you think of where we are with this war? And actually, what does defeat look like now for Putin?
7: Well, these are all great questions. Firstly, good to well, see uh, General Keane. Uh, pleased to share a platform with him. But, yes, I think Putin has seen that over 30 years, in fact, the West has become quite timid. And our humiliation in departing from Afghanistan, I think, was the ice and other cake. That was the moment that he intended to strike. And we need to wake up that we are actually witnessing a turning point in our history. This isn't just about Ukraine. This is much, much bigger. This is about Putin taking advantage uh, of complacency over 30 years as we've withdrawn back on our, our military capabilities he, uh, Putin is very much now in alignment with uh, President Xi, with China and Russia forming an Axis an and leveraging our timidity. What we're seeing at the moment, though, is an invisible uh, invasion, as General Keane just implied. Uh, in contrast, incredible uh, resilience and heroism from uh, the Ukrainian forces themselves. But we haven't leveraged that. You know, Russia's inep- ineptitude caught the West off guard. Remember, The U.S. even offered to uh, Zelensky a helicopter flight out. That's how they thought, uh, how competent they thought Russian forces would be. But here we are, Ukraine doing an incredible job, Russia having to back away from Kiev, move around to Donbass. That is the moment when they're regrouping, rearming, they're starting to redeploy. That's when you launch a counterattack. But where is the West? Where is NATO to leverage that? The big question I pose to the West, indeed to Britain and the United States, is what is our objective? What are we trying to achieve in Ukraine? Is it to support Ukrainians to push Russia completely out of mainland Ukraine? Or are we content with some form of stalemate occurring over Donbass? We need to clarify exactly what well, our me strategic ask, objective is.
1: OK, I mean, look, these are good questions. Let me ask uh, General Keane those questions. Wh- what do you think the West's objective is right now? And let me ask you also, General Keane, wh- what is defeat for Putin and what is victory now, do we think?
6: Well, first of all, I think we're very ambiguous about what our intent there is. We started out by just arming the Ukrainians, certainly, to likely uh, deal with an insurgency because they, most people felt the regime was going to be collapsed. And then certainly the Ukrainians responded very positively, Russians responded very incompetently, and, and huge opportunity arose. It took the Biden administration far too long to make that transition and get them the weapons they needed, and finally we're there. We we are clearly doing that. I think the meeting that was held in Ramstein, where 40 nations showed up, 14 of them not European, uh, with Secretary of Defense ALSTON and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, of the United States, Milley. Uh, that is significant, and what we have to do is continue that. In terms of the objective, the objective. Was never clear from the beginning, but now it has come come much more into focus. The Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, others in the administration, even uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is talking about victory here, defeating the Russian military inside of Ukraine, which is, I believe, is should be our objective. It should have been our objective and unequivocally, clearly stated from the beginning. And it's certainly, when you when you have ambiguity like that, it actually leverages our our enemy, yep. uh, Russia, to be sure, because they're not certain about what what we're driving towards, and yep. that's why I think they've been surprised by the level of effort recently. I I think there still is opportunity here for that objective to be achieved, and we've got to double down and continue to robust support that we're providing the Ukrainians, plus the, the moral support that they need as well.
1: General Keane, great to talk to you. Tobias Elwood, thank you very much too. Really appreciate it. On Sensor Next, a mega blow for Meghan. The Duchess of Sussex has had her next show cancel. Can she still justify a $100 million deal? That's coming up. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Now, there were two nailed-on celebrity certainties once war broke out in Ukraine. The first was that Angelina Jolie would, at some stage, fly over there to make it all about herself, posing for numerous selfies with her adoring fans. Fortunately, some of the Ukrainian youth didn't get the Angie PR op memo. Look at the guy there with his headphones. He's completely ignoring her. Fantastic. The second, of course, was Madonna deciding that what we all needed to cheer ourselves up in these dark times was her doing this on stage in Colombia. Now, to be fair to Madonna, uh, this did actually cheer me up. It did bring a smile to my face. Just not, I suspect, for the reasons that she hoped. Well, joining me now is a veteran journalist, attorney, Fox News host, uh, legend, actually, Gerardo Rivera. Gerardo, what a joy to have you on my new show. Thank you so much for joining us. Piers, my
5: pleasure. We haven't seen each other since uh, Donald Trump's Celebrity Apprentice in 2015.
1: That's completely true. And in fact, why don't we start with Trump? Because I was going to ask you about my interview, which has obviously ricocheted around the world. It's attracted three Trump statements so far of increasing... Well, venom and humor, actually, uh, basically saying the interview was terrible, brilliant, great for ratings. I'm a loser, I'm finished and washed up." Uh, and then there was this clip last night from his... Uh, this was his appearance at a rally, uh, where he said this: I "Think it's coming? Is it coming?" You know, we'll come to the clip in a moment. Gerardo, the point I was going to make, he, he says in the clip that I've gone crazy. Uh, oh, we got it. We've got it. I'm sorry. We're going to play it now. This
5: crazy Piers Morgan. Did you see that show? Piers Morgan. Thank you, sir. Piers Morgan show. You see Piers Morgan? He sort of had it. I think Piers is over the hill. He opened the show with an interview of me. I did him a favour. I didn't want to do a stupid show. It's on... Fox Nation? What is Fox Nation? What is it? They're going to love me when I say What is Fox? A-? It's on Fox Nation. He opened with great ratings when he did me. And then after my interview was finished, he bombed, and he's now down over 70%. And maybe they'll someday learn that maybe they should hire me as an anchor. Should I go to work? An- we'll get that greatest rating. We'll sit there and we'll riff.
1: I've got to say, Gerardo, I would watch... Donald Trump, if he did anchor a show like this. I mean, I would him live and unfiltered every night would be fantastic. I doubt he's going to do it. But what does that I mean? I just felt that it's a massive overreaction by Donald Trump to what was actually, when you watched it, a really insightful, revealing interview, which most people I know who saw it actually thought he came out of it pretty well.
5: I, I saw it, and that was the conclusion I had, Piers. It was a pretty good interview. You asked all the right questions, the necessary Questions, But as you know, he has uh, profoundly thin skin. He doesn't uh, suffer insults lightly. He uh, has a rule, you hit him, he'll hit you back. Mm. Uh, even if you didn't intend to hit him by even asking a question that he viewed as vaguely uh, you know, impolite, uh, he, he carries that grudge forever. Until there's some, something else, like JD Vance, the candidate here in the state of Ohio, uh, running for Senate, has just been endorsed by Trump, despite the fact that he called Trump everything from. I, know, I saw I, that. You know, I, no, I I've got don't no doubt. I've got no doubt. Insults,
1: imbecile and everything yeah. else. I, I've got no doubt. I'll be. I'll be so, having a cup you know, of tea with I, him. I, but I was going to ask you two questions really about it, which I think everyone is wondering: Do you think Trump will run again? Because Tucker Carlson earlier uh, last week on the show d- doesn't think he will. Uh, And secondly, would it be a good thing for America, given how divisive and polarizing he was in those four years, albeit not unsuccessful in many ways either, would it be a good thing if he did? I think President Trump
5: really wants to be president again. Uh, You know, I've known him since 1976. Uh, I've I've never seen him shirk from a challenge. I believe that uh, he's really hurt by the... Results, the legitimate results of the November 2020 election. Uh, you know, he's egotistical. He wants to be back in the White House. It's not that he's deprived of helicopters or or huge uh, jumbo private jets. It's just his ego has been rattled, and he has. It's it's a grudge. It's a grudge now. Uh, you know, with the Democratic Party, he wants to be back in the White House to evict them. Now, will he win? I I don't know. Uh, he'd have a. a some real hurdles uh, to clear, not the least of which is that he's lost uh, voters like me in the middle who supported him, you know, pretty strongly until he decided not to abide by the Constitution Mm. of the United States. So he has that hurdle. But, you know, the Republicans have enforced amnesia. Uh, They uh, they've decided that not to remember January 6th or the rest of it. Uh, So uh, I think that he may, unless Ron DeSantis, the the Florida Mm. governor, who's gaining momentum here, uh, you know, decides to make a go of it. uh, And uh, Trump lives in Florida. He may, I don't know. I'm not sure how that dynamic works. Mm. The answer to your question is, uh, I think he probably will run. And do I think that's good for America? I I, I don't think that he will win. I think that there's too much baggage. So I know that that's a dodge of your question Mm. because I just don't know the answer. For instance, in Ukraine, what would have happened if Trump were president when Putin was rattling the sabers and mobilizing his army? Would Trump have reacted differently? He was friends with Putin. Maybe it never would have come to an invasion. But maybe, just maybe, when he called uh, the invasion savvy and, uh, what was the other word, genius, uh, that, that uh, he would have kind of let Russia take Ukraine back. I, I don't know the answer to that.
1: We just had the White House Correspondents Dinner. I've attended that a few times. Uh, You have been many times, I know. We've got a little highlights reel here. It was a fun night. Let's have a look.
6: This is the first time the President attended this dinner in six years. (laughs) It's understandable. We had a horrible plague followed by two years of COVID. (laughs) If my predecessor came to this dinner this year, now that
2: would really have been a real coup. In America, you you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable, even if it makes your viewers or your readers uncomfortable. I stood here tonight, and I made fun of the President of the United States, and I'm going to be fine.
1: I'm going to be fine, right? (laughs) I thought that was a very powerful conclusion there by Trevor Noah. Uh, I thought he had a good night all round, actually, zinging everybody. Um, But I thought the the speech he made at the end there about the importance of free speech and his ability to do zingers at Joe Biden's expense, which would never be tolerated in a totalitarian country, had a powerful impact, I thought.
5: Well, he said all the right things to a very receptive audience. Uh, I was there in 2011, one of the many times that I have been at the Washington Correspondents Dinner, when Donald Trump was in the audience and President Obama just mocked him ruthlessly, saying that uh, he was ready because he had to choose between meatloaf and uh, some other uh, obscure uh, uh, C-lister uh, to who had the hot tub in front of the White House. Uh, Trump was outraged by that. I, I am convinced that that was the night Trump decided he was going to run I think for right. president of the United States. He was going to show them. It's, it's, it's again, it's that, uh, you know, it's that uh, same, you're seeing it in miniature, yeah. uh, you know, the way he reacts to those kinds of challenges. And I think that that put him over the top. Then he decided, I'm going to show Obama, I'm going to show everybody, I'm going to run for president,
1: and I'm going to win. You've covered a lot of war zones in your time very courageously, Harada. What do you make of Ukraine? We had a debate earlier about the the nuclear saber-rattling they're doing constantly now. But the scenes that we're seeing, we're sort of living this war in real time on social media like we've never lived a war before. How does this all play out, do you think? I think just in that last point,
5: uh, social media, now people with iPhones are doing as good a job as I did with two tonnes of satellite equipment. It is extraordinary, and the bravery... uh, uh, our, our Benjamin Hall, uh, who lost his leg, has yeah. lost his his crew. Uh, it's it's so dangerous. It's such it's heavy combat. Uh, you know, I I so admire the coverage now in terms of how this all plays out and where it goes. And I heard your uh, interview with General Keane. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it ends, I have no idea. But the nuclear saber rattling has rattled me as a child of the 1950s who used to duck under our desks at school, uh, you, uh, you know, in, in nuclear drills that would have been fruitless, who lived through as a as a cadet in Maritime College, the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. This is the worst it's been since then. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, people have to understand that when people are talking about nuclear use of nuclear weapons, you uh, know, in, in a way that it is plausible, if remote, it is... Un- unnerving to me. It is absolutely so profoundly distressing uh, the, to think that these world leaders would actively be considering. Now, what the word is now that Putin is going to use a tactical tactical nuclear weapon to explode over the Black Sea or some unpopulated area uh, in, uh, in, in, in Ukraine someplace— uh, you know, as a demonstration, that's, that's insanity. Mm. It's insanity. It is ridiculous. Mutual assured destruction is what nuclear warfare is all about. And it's just so distressing to me that, uh, that, that world leaders, even a, someone as, as nutty as Putin is showing himself to be, would be putting the world's very survival uh, in play. For what? For what exactly? For Donbass? Donbass? For uh, you know uh, some little sh- uh, shaving of eastern Ukraine, uh, what exactly is it that Putin is so you know so angry about that he would he would end the world? I I had a history professor very briefly, Mr. Fabregas in social studies, who who told me that he had no doubt but that Hitler at the end of the war, if he had a choice and there was a button that said end the world because mm. uh, we're losing or not, Hitler would have pushed the button. He would have mm. ended the world. I remember how upset I was by that. Is this the same thing? Is Putin now playing with the button because uh, he may lose this ridiculous, stupid war? And bravo to Ukraine. Bravo to Zelensky. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kicking butt at great cost. But they they threw the world's second most powerful or third most powerful army out of the region around the capital. And now uh, Putin is trying to pick up the pieces in the east side. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that this is horrible. What's going on with Putin and bravo to Ukraine and the Western allies. You know, that's one thing about Trump. I don't know. Would Trump have held NATO together with, and the, with the UK? And would he, have, would he have held them together to have a united front against Putin? He hated NATO. Half of NATO wasn't paying the 2%. He, 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 he was so disparaging of them. And it sounded like he wanted the Atlantic alliance gone. Yeah that he didn't even think the United States should be in, the, in, the, in NATO. You know, what if there was no NATO now? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, there's so many, so many interrelated questions.
1: As always, Gerardo, brilliantly, uh, brilliantly observed from all your experience. I was going to throw you a question about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but frankly, it feels almost an insult to ask you something so pathetically trivial after what you yeah, just it's said. It's not
5: really, because I felt. Follow- I followed Prince Harry into Helmut Province in Afghanistan. Ah. I missed him by a week, but all the American GIs were singing his praises. Yeah. I know, you know he, he's kind of drifted away from that,
1: but he was a hero in 2008. I'll I would love you that. that guy back. You know, My brother-in-law, actually, my, my sister's husband, he taught Harry and William at Sandhurst Military Academy. Uh, he was in charge of their training, and I think we'd love there to see go. that Harry back. Harado, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay, Pierce, thank you. Uncensored next. Djokovic, Murray, and Nadal have all attacked Wimbledon's decision to ban Russian and Belarusian athletes from this year's tournament. I'll speak to tennis legend Martina Ratilova. It's next? It's that
0: time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Rafa Nadal says Wimbledon's ban on Russian players at Wimbledon is unfair. Well, Sergei Staskovsky retired from tennis in January and is now taking up arms to protect his homeland in Ukraine. He took to Twitter to say... Rafa Nadal, we competed together, we played each other on tour. Please tell me how it's unfair. Oh, it's fair that Ukrainian players cannot return home? How is it fair that Ukrainian kids cannot play tennis? How is it fair that Ukrainians are dying? And Sergey joins me now, along with tennis legend and nine-time Wimbledon winner, Martina Navratilova. Well, welcome to both of you. Sergey. let me start with you. That was a powerful tweet, and there's no doubt when you read that tweet and you think about someone like yourself who played tennis competitively for Ukraine for many years and has now gone back and has now joined the battle against Putin and and his genocidal rampage, there's no doubt everybody, I'm sure, will feel huge empathy with you. The question becomes, I guess, that where where do you take the argument if individuals, rather than nations, rather than teams, for example, if individuals get punished for the, for the behaviour of their leaders, then you could end up with a lot of people getting banned, year in, year out, for all sorts of reasons.
3: Surely they can, but unfortunately uh, the regime in Russia created a, a delusional reality for Russians. And the top athletes, they have that reach, they have that uh, audition for their fans and they could tell them what's really going on. And honestly, if the Russian players and Belarusian players would come out and say publicly they condemn the invasion, that they would really say they're against the war, there'll be something, you know, everybody would then consider about banning. But they're staying silent. Uh, saying no war means if Ukraine will stop shooting, the war would be over. But it's not true. If Ukraine stops shooting, there'll be no more Ukraine and no more Ukrainians in it. So the question here is, it's not about whether it is good to ban somebody or not. It's a question whether it's normal To stay neutral when your country is killing innocent people.
1: Okay. Well, Martina, it's obviously that's not normal. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's disgusting. I think we all agree with that. But it's really about, I guess, the precedent that's being set here. And I I raised the point earlier at the top of the show that if you had the same kind of logic, for example you know, after the Vietnam War, after the uh, what many think was the illegal invasion of Iraq, for example, then a lot of American stars would be banned from tournaments that they ended up winning. What is your view about this?
4: Well, first, I want to say, Sergei, bra- bravo to you. Uh, my hat is off. Uh, I, you are just so brave to be doing what you're doing. Truly uh, unbelievable. As for the players, as you say, it could be a slippery slope. I... Because what are, what is the option for the Russian and Belarusian players uh, if they support the war? I mean, I say if they support uh, Putin, obviously, openly they should not be allowed to play. But if they go against it, what does that hap- What happens to them? What happens to their families, et cetera? They would re- literally be forced to defect uh, in order to play tennis. And I think you're making a very unfair situation. Obviously, horrible situation in Ukraine. You're making it worse by doing this i think the players who did not support putin who actually have spoken out against the war like probably Cienkova has openly spoke about it i think rublev wrote not no to war on the on the uh, camera after a match it's such a fine line to walk if you're from those countries and there is no good way out of it um so my heart goes out to everybody involved in this but if the only option is for these players to leave their country so they can play tennis I think that's, that's unfair as well.
1: Sergey. I mean, the precedent, I would, I would say immediately, that springs to mind, is Saudi Arabia's warmongering in Yemen, for example, hasn't led to a ban on Saudi competitors, for example, at the Olympics. Uh, it hasn't stopped them hosting a Formula One Grand Prix race. So there's a lot of hypocrisy here, isn't there, about the way that we, we view conflicts around the world and how we punish people.
3: Surely there is, but let's say Saudi Arabia doesn't possess any nuclear weapons, and Saudi Arabian kings, do not threat Europe, with airstrikes, saying that the missile will land in London within 200 seconds, it's going to land in Berlin in 160 seconds, on a mainstream TV, with your anchors saying these words and lines. So it's a pretty different situation, I would say. When you're preparing your nation, which is Russia, to basically say that there's no world without Russia in it. So they are preparing the nation, if they are going to lose the war in Ukraine, that they're ready to end the world. Is that something everybody should consider?
1: I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, I think, Martina, it's a very complicated issue. I actually thought long and hard over the last day or so about what I thought about this once I heard about this ban from Wimbledon. I understand that Wimbledon, for example, they're really doing it at the behest of the British government and the heavy sanctions they brought in. They're sort of taking their lead from the government, um, which some people might think is, is a bit cowardly of them to stand behind the government, but I can understand them taking their lead in that way. And they wanted to avoid, uh, it's been reported, the potential spectacle of the men's tournament being won by a Russian competitor and, and for example, the Duchess of Cambridge who's the patron of Wimbledon tennis, presenting him with an award and giving Putin a massive propaganda prize. I mean, this is the the problem, isn't it? If you do allow them to compete and they win, Putin gets his moment on the world stage.
4: Absolutely. And that's why we should not have been rewarding these horrible countries with international competitions, whether it's the Olympics in China, the World Cup in Qatar, the World Cup in Russia, etc. Saudi Arabia having, as you said, the F1 races... So it, it legitimizes these uh, these uh, governments and that, that's not right. On the other hand, tennis is a very individual sport, but it's like it's a normal situation. I know if I was living in Russia right now, I would probably be moving my family out, as are many people that can leave the country because it's just such a disaster and what they're doing is so, so wrong. But it is just... Sad that it would have to come to that. But I think if I, were, if I were living there, I would probably be doing that. But uh, yeah. there's no way of, of winning this one way or the other. And the loss of uh, life and, and destruction and it's just unimaginable. But I don't know if banning players from playing tennis is helpful one way or the other.
1: Sergey, I want to end with know. you uh, because you've gone back, you've retired early this year, you're now, you've joined the struggle. What is life like for you in Ukraine?
3: in ukraine kiev is getting better first two weeks were brutal honestly now the kiev going back to normality the because there's no other way but in general uh in the 9th of may i think is going to be the main time where we'll see what's going to happen because russia is planning to do a full scale um i don't know call in arms i would say i don't know how it's called in english and then unfortunately for many of us who have been put back into reserves most likely we'll have to go back to active duty so the next two weeks are going to be crucial, and we just hope that the world will stay at one piece as it is.
1: Well, we wish you all the very best, Sergei, to you and to your family and, indeed, to all Thanks. Ukrainians. Uh, Martin, I just wanted to ask you quickly, before we let you go, about Boris Becker, uh, someone you know incredibly well, uh, who's now in prison I mean, an extraordinary fall from grace.
4: Yes, uh, Boris had had some really bad advice and then he made some really bad decisions. And uh, now he's paying as high a price as you can. I just hope that he'll be OK and that he'll come out all right on the other side. Uh, my heart goes out to him and his family. He made some really bad mistakes um, and, you know, he's paying for them dearly. So I just hope he'll be OK. It is an
1: extraordinary situation, isn't it? I mean, I know Boris quite well. Uh, I have an interview the first interview with his his wife Lily tomorrow actually on this show uh it 's a it 's a tragedy for them, obviously a lot of people don 't feel any sympathy for him. They think that he you know he 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 did what he did and he committed financial fraud and he he should pay his his price but he was such a an idol in the sport of tennis. It just seemed extraordinary he 's now behind bars.
4: yeah, I think the first time it happened i think i don 't think it was his fault as much as it was of his advisors but he got let off uh, because of who he is. And then, but because of who he is, I think they paid more attention to what he was doing. And then the second time it happened, it definitely was on him. It seems from what I've been reading, uh, he should have been smarter than that, but, uh, you know, he didn't hurt anybody. He was just trying to save his own property, but that doesn't excuse, obviously, uh, shirking taxes, etc. So it's just, uh, you know, as tennis players, we depend on other people to tell us uh, what's right, what's wrong, lawyers, uh, CPAs, etc. I've gotten some really lousy advice over the years, nothing illegal, but, uh, you know, lost, lost some money because you depend on these people to do their job so you can do yours, uh, not to excuse what, what Boris did. And again, he's paying dearly and, uh, I just hope his family survives it intact and most of all Boris does because, um, yeah, this is it's, it's really rough.
1: Yeah, well said. Martina. lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Okay. Thanks, Chris. And nice to talk again to Sergey. Sergei. We lost a connection at the end, but we wish him and his family all the very best. Uncensored next, China's zero COVID policy shows, well, zero humanity as most countries are getting on with living with the virus. How long can China hold on? That's next. People in China are still living under the world's most draconian lockdown measures. The face of the country's brutal zero COVID policy continues to emerge, given this footage of a man in Beijing who sealed himself into his car because he feared he might have the virus. Residents in Shanghai have staged screaming protests from their homes. <laughs> Well, Robert Lawrence uh, Kuhn, who's a long-time advisor to Chinese leaders and the author of How China's Leaders Think, joins me now. Welcome uh, to the show. We haven't got much time. I'm really sorry. But if you could just explain to me, how long can this go on, this zero-COVID policy in China, given the reaction from the people there? And can it work?
8: It'll go on for the rest of the year through the, the 20th Party Congress, which is probably in November. It's un- important to understand three reasons why the lockdown policy is in place. First, Putting people first is the leadership, President Xi Jinping, the party's highest objective, their mission, and saving people's lives is the top of the list. Estimates were that there might have been 200 million cases, 2 million deaths in China if they hadn't done the draconian lockdowns in the early days. Secondly, because of the early success with the original uh, virus, uh, China has claimed that their system for putting people first is the best in the world, better than the Western liberal democracies. So that puts a marker down on, on, on the street. Yeah. Third, the, the 20th Party Congress, for people not familiar with it, is the most important event in China's political calendar. It occurs every five years. It establishes the leadership, the top people, which in China is the most important aspect. And China needs absolute stability, especially in Beijing, uh, until that time. So I don't expect any changes from significant lockdown they'll try to modify it a little bit as we see in Shanghai as they can but no significant changes until after the party congress and after that there will be and has to be a relaxation of the zero covid policy just to keep the economy going
1: robert thank you brilliantly articulated it's a fascinating situation there <laughs> and i appreciate <laughs> you joining us sorry we didn't have more time but appreciate it thank you Well, forget the fun, police. It's time to worry about the speech police, I'm afraid. (laughs) Well, internet search giant Google is rolling out a new inclusive language function that helps people avoid using PC words. One of the problematic words is mankind, apparently. To give you some idea uh, how ridiculous this is, before I play the most famous TV clip in history, I now have to issue a trigger warning. Here's the clip. It's one small
4: step for man. One giant leap for mankind.
1: Sorry, Mr Armstrong. Offensive, triggering. You're gonna get banned next. <coughs> okay, that's all from me uh, for tonight. Tomorrow I'll be joined by Boris Becker's wife, Lily, for her first exclusive interview. In the meantime, whatever you're up to, make sure it's uncensored.